Episode 40. Jackie Thong from Clio Health talks about managing multiple chronic conditions. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. One of the problems of trying to manage patients with multiple chronic conditions is that these chronic conditions have an unfortunate habit of intermingling with one another. For example, if a patient has diabetes and chronic back pain, the patient might be told to exercise for their diabetes, but then forego the exercise because their back hurts. So what's a provider to do? the patient has an app or a care plan for for diabetes that is in direct conflict perhaps with the care plan that they have for their back pain. That's where Clio Health comes in. And I had a really interesting conversation with Jackie Thong, who is the CEO and founder of Clio Health, about how to effectively manage this type of patient with multiple chronic conditions without drowning in in data. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Jackie. Thank you. Let's talk about Clio Health. What do you got going on up there in Boston? I'm the founding CEO of Clio Health, and Clio Health is a healthcare IT or health digital health company that helps healthcare providers deliver better care and chronic care management services to patients by engaging them more easily between office visits through self-reporting and automated personalized feedback that goes to both the patient and the provider. That sounds like you've got a mobile app and a platform, yeah? Yeah, so that is part of it. So it is, the system is web and mobile enabled. So actually, it's accessible on all kinds of devices. The technology architecture is that it's actually built on a responsive web platform so that it runs uh, equally well on a desktop computer and on a mobile phone and everything in between. Why don't we drill down? I'm a patient and I am presented with the app and it, it would be my provider, you know, my doctor that would say, you should use this. Is that how this works? Yeah. So it's really the providers uh, that are driving the use of this and the value that they see in it is the ability to stay in touch with their patients between office visits, do better monitoring, especially of patients with chronic conditions and especially those with multiples. So if you go into your doctor and you're dealing with a chronic condition or, or a few, your doctor may say, Well, Stacey, we'd like you to try using this because this will help us and our nurse care managers keep in touch with you better and understand how you're progressing. And if you're having any issues, we'll be able to see that before you you come in the next time. And the system will also give you personalized feedback about whether you should call us or whether there's maybe some tips and tricks that you can follow that might be just a lifestyle change or something to do that'll make you feel better uh, until you come back and see us again. And I have to say, this is what I found really, really interesting about Clio Health, that it is for multiple conditions all at once. 
I see so many apps out there that are just, let's talk about this one particular disease state. Let's hone in on your AFib, you know, for example. Right, right. And kind of leave off the fact that the person, I mean, maybe they have chronic back pain and they can't exercise because of the chronic back pain. But from a AFib or diabetes perspective, it's trying, you know, obviously the care plan would be to get somebody out to exercise. Right, right, right. So, I mean, that's one thing that we've really heard a lot from providers and provider organizations who really are dealing with challenging populations that have more than one chronic condition. And there's no real good guidelines for people that are dealing with two that might actually be in conflict with each other. Your example is great. If you have back pain, you might not be able to exercise, but the clinical guideline for somebody with AFib or diabetes is to get out and exercise. And so the the Clio Health platform has been designed to be disease agnostics. So we have a very modular architecture that allows us to have customizable, customizable care plans for patients, whatever their condition is. But then that means that they can also be, the care plans can be layered so that a person dealing with diabetes also has a care plan that layers on top of that, that can help them stay on top of their AFib or back pain issues. So how does this work? Because I'm thinking now about a, let's just take a patient that's got diabetes and sure. back pain, just sure. as a, an example. Yeah. So you're going to have one particular, you know, you're going to have an endocrinologist who's going to be specializing in diabetes and know everything there is to know about diabetes, but probably right. incredibly little about back pain. Right. <laughs> and right. then vice versa, you're going to have a pain specialist who's all about back pain, but knows very little about diabetes. How do yep. those two meet? This is part of, you know, one of the things that's happening a lot with healthcare reform is that the powers that be are really trying to encourage more care coordination on the part of the primary care physician. And there's a lot of movement around this notion of the patient-centered medical home so that even though a patient might be seeing multiple specialists, there's, you know, one place that sort of or one body of providers that really knows what's going on with them holistically. And so the aspect about Clio that helps drive this transparency is that the care plan can be set up and can be shared with any number of providers in that care team. So if I'm that patient that's dealing with back pain and diabetes, my primary care physician and associated nurses and care managers are part of that care team. But my endocrinologist and my pain specialist can also be nominated and added to that care plan so that they can see it. The main conduit in this example, really who's driving it, the care plan, is the primary care practice. And through that, if a, for example, if you're dealing with both with diabetes and back pain, there might be some things that the provider has to have a recognition for. For example, with diabetes, they might want you to be tracking your blood sugars twice daily and then also tracking your level of back pain. So that's really three data points that they're really looking at and they want to see what medications you're taking. Now, if you have a particularly bad day, let's say you're having a lot of back pain issues, that might also be why you might have fallen off the wagon in terms of staying adherent with your diabetes meds and maybe you didn't take your blood sugar values that day. 
And so if the provider, the primary care office, the nurse manager there sees that you've missed a couple days, but you also at the same time had high levels of back pain, they could call you up and say, you know, Stacy, it looks like you've, you're having a really bad time with the back pain. Maybe you should come in and, and you should take a look at that and see if your meds are not, your back pain meds aren't really working anymore and take care of that so that you can then focus on getting back on track with your diabetes meds. I'm inferring from what you've said that it's the PCP that a PCP in a medical home type setting or in a coordinated care type setting that in quotes owns the app and setting up the app. So it would fall within their uh, responsibility to get this app set up um, and then give it to all their patients. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's really where we're seeing the most traction ourselves um, coming from the primary care perspective, but it's not exclusively. We also have some specialty practices, specialty departments. It really depends on the patient population. But in the example that you outlined, those are two disparate diabetes and back pain are two very different, but also very commonly comorbid conditions, in which case probably the the best use of the Clio would be driven by the primary care practice. I just made a note to self to circle back to what you just mentioned about specialists. So we'll talk about sure. that in a sec, but let's stick on this PCP line of thinking right now. Yeah. Say I'm a PCP. How do I get the care plans from, and this could be more of a statement about what I see out there today relative to specialists talking to PCPs. (laughs) (laughs) But how would a PCP get the care plan from the endocrinologist and get that patient's individualized pain management plan, you know, from the pain specialist? You know, how does that all work so that the PCP can get the information to get it into this one individual patient's Clio app? It's not so much about getting the information from the uh, endocrinologist and the specialist, but as a PCP, there are going to be certain things that you're concerned about for that patient that are maybe fairly general. So if you know that the patient is dealing with diabetes, the big the big number to be aware of is blood sugar values, know what medications that patient is on, and then an assessment of pain. Now, the specialist, endocrinologist and pain specialist may have more things that they want to be on top of. And there's full transparency. So if the endocrinologist and pain specialist actually wanted to add aspects onto the care plan, they could. And then the PCP would be notified. And that, that, and that yeah. would kind of assume that in this particular instance, everyone was part of, I'm going to assume, some sort of integrated network where the technology available to the PCP would also be available to the specialist. Yeah, but actually it doesn't need to be part of an integrated network because our system is web-based. So the PCP could uh, communicate with the endocrinologist, say, here's a username and password you can get on. Is that... Yeah, and and we can help. We would help if that organize if the organizations say say the specialists were out of network. For example, increasingly that's not going to be happening too much. But let's say they were. If the endocrinologist and pain specialists were out of network, then the Clio staff would help that organization get set up if they wanted to have access to Clio. So that would be that's entirely possible. They don't need to be in the same network in order to have access to that the patient's care plan. 
So if, yeah. a, if a PCP and a specialist seem to work together a lot on a number of patients, then there might be a, you know, I'm going to use the word, the term business reason. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that they could communicate with one another. Right. So, and we've already had requests like that. It, the, the use case of being out of network is not as common, but it does, it does happen certainly with some specialty centers. Let me ask you something. I've been on a kick lately, and that is treat to target which I find very interesting. There was a guest that we had on the show several weeks ago named Dr. Ashisha Treja, who was working with IBD patients. And what he was talking about is that with treat to target you know, with diabetes, it's very easy to see if a patient is doing well or not, because if their right. A1C is high, they're not. Right. If their A1C right. is on target, they're doing well. Same thing with blood right. pressure. But if you're sure. dealing with something like pain, for example, or IBD or you know, rheumatoid arthritis yeah. or any number of other conditions, there's no number that you're necessarily shooting for. So how Absolutely. do you how do you handle that in, in the app? Like, in other words, if you're trying to evaluate how someone's back pain is, for example, in any given day. How are you evaluating whether they're on target or not? Yeah, well, that's really one of the um, really key drivers of why patient-reported outcomes, patient-generated health data is becoming so important today because there's a recognition that there aren't biomarkers for every condition. And what's also really important, even in conditions where there's biomarkers, is actually the patient experience. How are they feeling? And so, for example, for pain, it would be a self, a patient self-reported pain score, but also perhaps um, a rating of relative ability or disability. Like what things were you able to do today? Did you go to work today? If the patient was able to go to work today, then they're probably doing okay. But if they were laid out in bed all day, then that's probably, you know, that's an indication that things are not going so well. It just strikes me as with certain conditions evaluating the condition in isolation probably doesn't serve the patient particularly well. In other words, I can control your pain and put you in a dizzy fog. Right. right. <laughs> you have no pain, but you can't do anything else. Exactly. So looking more holistically at the patient's relative ability, because, yeah, if you can't go to work, no matter whether your pain is uh, taken care of, uh, if you're so foggy that you can't actually deliver on your responsibilities, then, yeah, that's a problem. So what's important about a tool like Clio is that we provide the ability to collect that information over a period of time and give feedback to both the patient and provider about what's really happening on a longitudinal basis. So, you know, on a horizon of a week or two, how is your pain fluctuating or is your stomach cramping in a case of IBD? How, how is that? Are you feeling bloated? And how is that interfering with your quality of life? Because that also then drives patient satisfaction among other, among many other things. There's psychosocial aspects to getting well and feeling empowered as well that are just as important as some biomarker numbers. And where do you collect that kind of information from? Are there guidelines or are you working with individual practices? You know, where do the where do these uh, self-reported questions or parameters, where are they emerging from? There are several sources. I mean, patient report outcomes have been used for many years in clinical research. And right now there's a movement that's going on to encourage the use of patient report outcomes in clinical, regular clinical practice. There's a national or an NIH-funded initiative called PROMISE, and so they have a question bank categorized by different conditions. 
But then for the work that's been already been done in the pharmaceutical industry or clinical trials industry, there are a number of sort of health economics, quality of life questionnaires, also certain disease assessments that have already been validated. So that is, those are two great sources. So sort of like the scientific library of published, uh, published studies using different instruments, but also now this new promise initiative. That's, that's one source. But then on the actual individual provider level, there are a lot of providers who've been using some sort of patient diary or assessment for years and just collecting it on paper or trying to get their patients to take notes and bring that in, which obviously cannot be mined or analyzed in the same way that if they had the information digitally. But it's really amazing what some of these very experienced providers have been doing without uh, the help of electronic systems. So there's four places it sounds like you are collecting your treatment guidelines or the ability to guide the self-reported, I, I wouldn't call it outcome, self-reported data points. Would that be a way to yeah, put it? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is self-reported outcomes. It's, it's the, the term is patient-reported outcome measures, PROMS. Um, so there's actually, a, there's an acronym for that. That's um, awesome. Yeah, PROMS. Yeah. PROMS, hmm. yep, yep. And so this is all part of the movement of getting, you know, other practices more patient-centered. So, you know, really thinking about, well, what's the patient experience here? And how you're collecting, you know, there's that great Oprah Winfrey quote that I love. It's, it's sometimes the most important thing is asking the right question. Right. That would seem to be very relevant here. So how you're collecting the questions that get asked which is going to drive the data that you collect yeah. is you're looking through the NIH promise question bank, which yeah. is cool. You're looking at HEOR, Health Economics and Outcomes Research, which is published by pharma or basically anyone trying to do a clinical trial. Right. Published studies from elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, there's, if you just do a search of, you know, patient report outcomes and then, and with any other with disease field, um, let's say IBS or IBD, you'll come up with a lot of scientific literature about what assessments have been used. So that's the third, that's the third sort of just looking at the existing scientific knowledge base. And then the fourth is actually really provider and physician experience and what they've used. Because at the end of the day, because this is regular clinical practice, sometimes the research-oriented questionnaires are not that useful in a regular clinical care setting because they're not really designed to help the provider assess what's actually going on um, with the patient uh, on an ongoing basis. What you want to make sure of is that patient isn't overburdened, nor is the provider. So you don't want to have too much information that's not actionable. And so the, the, really, the buck stops at the provider because whatever information you're collecting needs to help them make a decision, whether that's continue treatment as is, modify treatment, increase dose, or switch them off treatment completely, or recommend a lifestyle change. Those are the real decisions that they're making with the information that they get from Clio. Basically, what I'm, I'm hearing you say is that at Clio, you've got some expertise with curating those questions that are coming from all those different sources, putting a set of possible questions in front of the provider, and then you work with the provider to narrow down exactly which ones they feel are going to be, are going to net them the most, the, the most relevant information to help them do what they need to do. Yeah, and that's a pretty quick sort of interview process. Just understand, well, what what are the top three things you need to know about your patients when they're not here? 
And then from there, our system also processes that, that information and provides feedback through a rules engine based on certain parameters. For example, if a provider wants the nurse care managers to be alerted if the patient had high levels of cramping and pain, let's say, for three consecutive days, then that's how we would set the alert. And that's how you change the noise into relevant signals. Exactly. How do you fine-tune the balance of too many alerts or, you know, not enough that you're missing really important signals. You know, one of the things that I've heard providers be very concerned about is that, you know, they're just going to be inundated with information that's flowing into them that's not particularly relevant. Right. And so what we do with our, when we do a setup is that we have this interview process where we try to understand what are the key alerts, what are they doing now? So the most important thing is to understand their current workflow and what their nurse care managers are trying to do. Are they looking at information? Are they calling up the patient? What are they trying to understand when they call the patient? It's a very manual process now. So how can we automate that through the information that we get through Clio? And we basically make a list of that. And then we start with a small a subset of those alerts. Because it's easier to layer on more alerts than to program them all in, uh, like say a hundred different rules, and then have the nurses or physicians get completely overwhelmed. So we basically layer them on. We start with sort with a middle ground and say, okay, this sounds like this will address sort of like ninety percent, eighty to ninety percent of your needs right now, and then let's monitor it over the next two weeks and see how many are firing. I could see how that would be a really good strategy because there's probably nothing that's going to upset a provider office more than too many alerts. Right, right. And then and then you sort of get off on a bad start where, you know, we, we've all worked so hard. The providers and the nurse care managers work hard to get buy-in organizationally and they get excited. But then if it goes live and they are suddenly all overwhelmed and in a constant state of panic, then that doesn't build confidence. Whereas if they're getting alerts when they need to, and we tell them, you know, you'll you'll be need to be quite vigilant and just make sure that you're on top of things. It's better to have fewer alerts than too many. I was reading something on LinkedIn the other day, and there was someone who who made a comment that in situations like this, what's most important is context, not content. And he yeah. said, content without context is noise. Right. Absolutely. I have a note here to circle back to how specialists might be using this app, which you had mentioned. Yeah. How does that that go down? So we've received interest from a series of specialist clinics, cardiovascular clinics, pain treatment clinics, infectious diseases clinics that focus on patients with HIV and hepatitis C infection. Those are examples of specialty centers within healthcare systems that have a lot of patients with complex care needs and a lot of care coordination. So within that one specialty center, they there may be they're typically multidisciplinary. 
So even within that specialty center, it's not just a an infectious diseases specialist or a virologist. It's also a gastroenterologist to deal with some of the comorbid issues of somebody dealing with hepatitis C. Or, for example, at a specialty pain center, it might also be a psychiatrist that's helping deal with depression issues or also a physical therapist that's helping to deal with some of the rehab aspects, particularly in a post-surgery situation. But even people with chronic back pain will also need some degree of rehab and physical therapy. So you can see that even in specialty care settings, increasingly there's a lot of sort of multidisciplinary, holistic type of treatment. So it's not just one specialist in some of these specialty centers. And so I think that's that has been a really interesting use case for us, where they see the Clio Health platform as a way for coordinating within that center, because there's different types of providers that need to be up to date on what's happening with the patient on different aspects. So the psychiatrist still needs to know what's happening with that patient from a pure sort of pain management perspective, but also wants to monitor signs of depression and exacerbation of such. You know, one thing that I've heard frequently, especially relative to pain, is that patients really need individualized, an individualized approach. In other words, one size definitely does not fit all. How is Clio then introduced to individual patients? You know, is there kind of a base module that get cu- that gets customized per patient? You know, so you've got kind of a template that then is customized. Is that how it works? Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, pain is a great example. But I think what you said, I think rings true for all conditions. I think increasingly, providers also see that there's not really, there probably never has been a one size fits all approach. It has to be individualized to the patient demographics, their life situation, lifestyle, particularly, and you know, really what they're going to be able to do. Not everybody is going to be able to change their diet very easily and not everybody's going to be able to start exercising. Those things all have to be considered. With Clio, what we have a concept known as a care plan template so that we can start with a base template for all patients that have a certain type of pain, let's say lower back pain. And then from there, the care managers or nurses and uh, physicians can modify and edit that care plan to add different kinds of goals or different medications for that patient or even like a course of yoga or physical therapy is an in part of their care plan as tailored to that particular patient's needs. How does Clio interact, if it does, with other more specialized apps? For example, there are a number of different apps on the marketplace that are highly specialized to, for example, food logging, you know, and exercise. So they are, you know, really well crafted and have a lot of aspects for, you know, metabolic syndrome very, very specifically. Does Clio, do you see it replacing those apps or working in conjunction with them? In general, our attitude or philosophy is that where there are really good mechanisms for getting data from a patient that we would rather work with them than replace them. But we also have to bear in mind the demographic of most of the patients that we're dealing with. And we've, over time, we've had a lot of questions about integrating with wearable sensors, for example, so a Fitbit or Nike Fuel Band type of devices. And there are APIs that can help us 
uh, pull that data into Clio instead of having the patient self log, say how many minutes they spent doing moderate activity, we could essentially pull that directly from a Fitbit device. I could also see Clio kind of being an umbrella app that, you know, would it be the worst thing in the world if someone had an app that was highly specialized to a particular condition, but then it kind of all rolled up into yours? No, and absolutely. So where there are specific applications or tools, wearable sensors that have APIs that we can pull data from, absolutely. Because what we do is contextualize that for the provider. That's really what's important. Moving forward, I think that definitely has always been part of our architecture. Uh, But what we see, interestingly enough, is that for the demographic that most of our provider customers are dealing with, Those are people that do not actually have Fitbits or don't regularly use apps to track other things. We may all, (laughs) so the people developing the tools and all our peers, but we're typically, we're all under 50 and we all have higher levels of education, maybe two or even three degrees. So it's a (laughs) really different demographic. We're not really designing for ourselves. You know, and that just brings up an interesting question, which comes up kind of frequently in my day job, which is what is the patient segment that you target? Because sometimes the highest risk patients are the kind of beyond hope and you're you're sort of throwing good money after or bad or whatever that cliche is, because they just simply to change their behavior, it's going to be so difficult that you know, is the is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, sometimes the most ideal patients are not necessarily the highest risk strata. They're kind of one down from that. What have you seen relative to the patients that are getting the highest success from an app like Clio? I think you have to look at where the pain points are for the providers, where they're struck, where they really need to keep costs contained, but also deliver better care and take better care of these patients. And so every time we go out to meet with providers, they're really talking about their highest risk segment. And this is often, you know, plus 65. So a Medicare or Medicaid population. So either plus 65 or disadvantaged from a socioeconomic perspective. And these are people with multiple chronic conditions. If you talk to the providers, They're the ones, they really want to work at addressing that patient population. And so they're really looking at tools that can help them do that because it's a lot of work for them and their nurses. There's a lot of human resources staff that are required into making sure those patients stay on track. And so what you hear from the providers is that they they are much more optimistic that this patient population can be helped with good, well-designed technology tools that actually operate at the level that and, and are accessible by that patient population. And when, what they mean by that is that the patient cannot need to have the latest iPhone to run it. They know that all their patients have a smartphone or a tablet. It might not be the highest end, but they have some way of accessing the internet. They may not regularly download apps, maybe beyond some games or communication tools, but they all use the internet. And so they have a much different view of their patient population and and access to technology, I think, than most of us do, the developers of those tools and our investors, frankly. 
I, I've I've heard the, <laughs> the term, you know, when it's bring your own device, you have to make sure that obviously the app is functional across a very wide range of, of technologies. Do you find that those highest risk patients, which are the ones basically that are not spending any time concerned about their health at all, you know, so they are the most non-compliant patients you can get your hands on, you know, that completely non-compliant equals highest risk usually. Yeah. Um, so do you find that these completely, th- these patients who have been not compliant to anything a doctor has said or a healthcare provider has said, I mean, obviously there's no matter where you turn these days, there's something that talks about the importance of diet and exercise and they are ignoring just anything um, of that ilk. Do you find that these completely non patients who have been non-compliant to everything else, how do you get them to be compliant to an app? There's always going to be patients. If you if they don't want to be helped at all, I think that's going to be very difficult. I mean, but those are also patients who don't go to the doctor at all. They're, it's not that they're just non-compliant with their medications. They're actually non-compliant with showing up. And so that's probably a segment that we will have trouble reaching. But then there there are people who are trying but don't really have the tools or are not uh, communicating enough or in ways that get them on track. Those are patients that certainly can be helped. We have to be able to move the needle somehow. These are these patients are probably not going to overnight become dream patients, but those are there are also a lot of patients who are in high risk categories who are engaging with their nurse care managers. They have they have reasons. They want to stay better. They want they have goals in their life, even if it's maybe it's not to save the world, but it's really to walk their daughter down the aisle or play with grandkids more often. And so have to really work at their motivations. And that's there's a human aspect to that too, of course. What's really important, of course, with I don't I think thinking of it as an app maybe is is might maybe not the the right way, but a tool to help them communicate with their care managers, the people that that want to see them well and giving them that tools to help empower them and know what's happening and have an outlet for and and receive information about their health on a regular basis. That's the holy grail, honestly. I mean, patient engagement and increasing adherence. And I would be, I can't say that we have all the answers and that we've really cracked that not yet. There are a lot of people trying to work on this. And I think that we have to move the needle somehow and continue with better design, make it easier, but also engaging the providers is also really important and making them see that they're making progress too. Because provider buy-in is really at least half the battle, if not more. There's one more thing that I would love to ask your opinion on, Jackie. Sure. I read your blog and your latest post is about remote patient monitoring for chronic condition management. Yes. Do you want to talk about that a little? Do do you feel that that is going to be a driver, for example, for apps like like Clio Health? How How does this all fit together, all these puzzle pieces? Certainly. So that most recent blog post, February 24th or something like that, we were really talking about the new CPT code that CMS launched that reimburses physicians or providers for the delivery of chronic care management services. And what that means is, as you said, remote monitoring of patients, remote care management of patients with more than one chronic condition. 
that's really the highest risk group there. So CMS means um, plus 65, but also having more than one chronic condition, for example, diabetes and hypertension. What's really interesting about this is that providers are now have now woken up to the fact that this could be an extra revenue source. But what's really happening is that it looks like CMS is trying to encourage providers to take a more holistic view of caring for their patients. So not, not focusing solely on that 15-minute visit when they're in every few months, but really look at them work on their patients and manage them on a monthly basis. So it's they get reimbursed for doing 20 minutes of remote patient management per month. The other interesting aspect is that there is a there aren't tools yet or they're all emerging that help providers truly deliver chronic care management services. And so that's the creation of a care plan, ensuring that care plan is patient-centered and visible to the patient and can also collect data against that care plan and help patients and providers have a dialogue about what needs to be changed and modified and also be transparent to other providers in the, the care team. That functionality that's required or the, the uh, requirements of getting reimbursed, interestingly, map very well to what Clio Health actually does. And so I think it's a great opportunity for us to make sure that we can really truly support providers who want to do this to make sure that they can get reimbursed for that. It's, it's about $42 per provider per month. That really then paves the way for a very interesting business model. Nicely done. You are prescient in your <laughs> construction of your, of your system. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great validation. For we've always believed in that providers need tools like this. And similarly, patients need the other side. It takes two. It takes two parties. That's why we've made sure that our product speaks to both the patient and provider and meets their needs on, on each side of that. Yeah, the new CPT code, I think, could, is a very big opportunity, and we need to stay close to those developments and make sure we take advantage of that. If someone is interested in learning more about Clio Health, where would you direct them, Jackie? Go to our website. We're at www.cleohealth.com, K-L-I-O. H-E-A-L-T-H dot com. Yeah, I think that's that's really where we've got our email address and uh, um, that people can reach us there. And I think that you'll probably have more information on your website just with my bio and where to reach me directly too. That we will. And I thank you so much for being on the program today. You're very welcome. Thanks, Stacey. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, the cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a, a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is also in that same right hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, 
then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our um, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. We would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.